Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Carrie Harrison. I'm Allison Erickson, here with your Rethinking Heroes Flash Briefing, an update on national defense news and stories affecting service members and veterans. In national defense, it's a bird, it's a plane, it's a surveillance balloon? Defense officials have been busy answering press questions about a Chinese surveillance balloon spotted over the Big Sky State one of the nation's sites of siloed nuclear weapons. In Montana, the balloon entered U.S. airspace a couple of days ago, according to a senior defense official. Military commanders suggested downing the balloon wasn't worth the risk of debris falling and hurting somebody or damaging property. Officials also said surveillance like this isn't unusual, but the length of time it has remained over the U.S. isn't the norm. In PACT Act news, the American Legion released advice for people who are vulnerable to being scammed by enrollment in the PACT Act. If you or a family member might be eligible for the PACT Act, here's what the American Legion is saying to protect against scams. Apply directly to the VA, either online or in person. Be wary of companies other than the VA suggesting that they can help you apply for the PACT Act benefits. Stay away from aggressive law firms or companies using a sense of urgency to make you use their services. Only use accredited veteran service organizations. You can find a list of that on the VA website. Ensure you contact the VA directly if another company reaches out on behalf of the VA. And thoroughly review all your documents before signing. More than 1.4 million veterans have gone through toxic exposure screenings under the newly approved PACT Act, according to the VA. The act allows treatment for presumed conditions from things like burn pits. The VA aims to prioritize treatment of those with active symptoms from their service-connected toxic exposure, particularly those with cancer. Since this is our first broadcast of the Rethinking Heroes radio show, I'd like to tell you about myself. I'm Allison Erickson, the Military Veterans and Journalism Fellow with the Texas Tribune. I served in the U.S. Army until 2018 as a Medical Service Corps officer, then chose to extend my public service through journalism. This next story is one I've been working on, and I think it's important to listen. An Afghan soldier who fought alongside the U.S. fled his home country after the U.S. withdrawal and collapse of the Afghan government in 2021. Abdul Wasi Safi, or Wazi, went into hiding when he wasn't able to make the last military flight leaving Kabul. Wazi made a trek across three continents and 10 countries to wind up arrested at the border of the U.S. and Mexico. His brother had been an interpreter working directly alongside U.S. special operations and became a U.S. citizen in 2021 before the collapse. Months after his arrest, the Department of Justice dropped federal misdemeanor charges against Wazi for failing to present with proper documentation to remain on U.S. soil. Nearly two dozen veterans groups and at least three members of Congress penned letters to the White House in support of Wazi, particularly Houston Democrat Sheila Jackson Lee. Four months later, Wazi reunited with his brother Simi last week after feds dropped the charges. Now he awaits asylum proceedings. This story really makes us question the promises we made to our wartime allies and how our immigration policies really aren't serving well to honor those policies. You're listening to 
the Rethinking Heroes Flash Briefing. In a detailed, intricate look into the 182nd National Guard Infantry Regiment, Lara Salahi wrote a long-form piece for the War Horse about one unit's collective approach to ending suicide among its ranks. Rather than platitudes, members of this unit make the calls and sometimes long drives to ensure a soldier's safety. And I'll close out with a few topics spinning around in my head this week. For women in the military, women across, women veterans across the nation can now access reproductive care services, including abortions, in federal VA facilities, even after the overturned Roe versus Wade decision. As of October, VA Press Secretary Terrence Hayes said the VA performed at least five medically necessary procedures. For safety reasons, the department will not disclose the locations of these facilities. This is considered a much-needed win for an all-volunteer military struggling with retention rates. And for Black History Month, we're taking a look at Triple Nickel. The 555th, or Triple Nickel, was an all-Black parachute infantry battalion that existed from 1944 to 1947 and served throughout World War II. The unit broke barriers for men and women of color in the military, and now a clothing and apparel company wants to use their message for diversity in their mission. Triple Nickel is owned and operated by military veterans from the special operations community. They describe their brand as for those service members who want to participate in military culture and wear the apparel, but who don't see themselves reflected in mainstream military apparel. For Rethinking Heroes Flash Briefing, I'm Allison Erickson with Military Veterans in Journalism. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards. Wow, I mean, first of all, what a question. Journalism is about telling the truth, all while ferreting out the bottom line. I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. Uh-oh. With me, Carrie Harrison, as your guide. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Carrie Harrison. And it is the top of the hour, actually six minutes past the hour. Carrie Harrison with you, your new best friend, wanting to welcome you to a brand new show that is going to address the mastodon in the middle of the room. Uh, those of us in Los Angeles, those of us in major cities, New York, Miami, it really doesn't matter, Chicago, there are fleets of homelessness everywhere. That's just a portion of what we're going to be talking about today and more. We're going to be looking at the world's first true $6 million man, a veteran who experienced a disaster in Iran, Iraq rather, and had his knee blown off and the rest of his leg all the way down. And the DOD picked him to be the first to get a bionic leg, which works perfectly, which now means Others can get that, which also means remainder military technology, like the Internet, like everything you use, your iPhone, all of that came from military development. This will be available for regular people, too. What is the point of what we're doing here? Well, let me tell you. I've been doing general talk radio for the past, well, more years than maybe if you're listening to this as a podcast later, maybe you weren't born yet. I'm not a geezer, but I have been around doing this for quite a long time. 
Uh, I started doing talk radio uh, on WFLA, which was in Tampa Bay, then ended up as news director of the biggest rock station on the West Coast, and then uh, was taken up to Chicago. They groomed me to be the young Paul Harvey until they discovered my politics, uh, and it didn't, <laughs> didn't go that way. That's okay. I'm not good at selling Buicks. But uh, from there, we went to uh, into syndication, national syndication on 200 stations with something called reality checks, which were tiny investigative stories every single day. The news that the mainstream news would not do. This is why the most asked question to me and probably to you in your discussions when you're having a coffee with someone is, where do I find the news? And people are like, I don't know. You know, you can watch Anderson Cooper or Don Lemon or whatever, and maybe if they're not giggling, maybe you get a smidge of what's actually going on, and people literally don't know anymore where to go to get information. So I found myself in charge of the information as the news director of the rock station, then at CBS was doing the same thing, but uh, big investigative stories, uh, including Bill Clinton while he was listening. That's a story for another time. Um, and George W. Bush and others, and it was really cool. So I got an appetite for what does it mean when the public, you, own the broadcasting license, and you deserve, because remember, the people that own the license, that get the license for free, that you give for free, they can make a billion dollars. And guess how much you get back? Zero. What? What? You mean... The public is giving a license to make a billion dollars and the public gets nothing back. Well, that was one of the reasons that the FCC was born, to actually make sure you got something back. That was called news. And news used to be non-commercial. Back in the days of Walter Cronkite and going way before, it was a public service. That's how a broadcaster paid for the privilege to have a free license to broadcast, run commercials, etc. Uh, all of that has been deregulated and pushed to like 6 a.m. on Sunday mornings where there's a smaller audience and they don't have to worry about it, as opposed to being where it belongs. Uh, news has become now infotainment, and it's actually part of their entertainment branch, posing as public service. So realizing that we're not getting the information that we deserve, that we want, and that we need simply to survive. Like, how do you know if you can't drink your tap water because there's something in it? Do you wait five years for Hollywood to write another Aaron Brockovich movie? And a little late, that horse is well out of the gate by then. I mean, this is sort of how we're finding out what's actually going on. So this show, this show, Rethinking Heroes, is dedicated to the people who have put their necks out on the line. Many, many, most, in fact, have been in the military, and they're cool people, and they're still working to fight for you. What happens at the end of every month here on Rethinking Heroes? We're going to wipe out $1 million in regular people's medical debt in the name of U.S. veterans. These are guys still showing up. These are guys who signed a blank check, by the way, to the government. Go out, fight, do this thing. You come back, we'll take care of you. They come back, not taken care of. But there are people out there who are solution providers, real ones, and you don't know about them. People who are picking it up who are providing solutions and cures and therapies and amazing ways to make things better for people by the millions. And we're going to present who superheroes are. And these are people that can help you. If you're a live human, an upright mammal like me, 
I get depressed. I get bummed. I have bad days. I have PTSD of my own. Nothing, nothing to the level of somebody who's seen combat. But let's just say my mother was a cross between Mommy Dearest and Cruella DeVille on a good day, and my father collected German war memorabilia, if you catch my drift. And, um, and I'm not German. Uh-huh. Yeah. So a lot of pain and punishment there. So I have like civilian versions of that. So I am interested in therapies. I am interested in EMDR. I am interested in anything that will abate and assuage the personal issues that I go through. Just as you, a person wondering, how am I going to retire? Uh, years ago, they told me that I would have retirement. I would have this and that, and it's all disappeared, and Wall Street has taken over, and I can't find out what's going on. I don't know. I have no redress to my government. How do I find out? How do I reconnect? Well, many, many, many of the really brilliant people we're going to be bringing on are going to be answering just those questions and providing so much more while we wipe out your medical debt. When I say you, I mean you plural. I mean all of us. It is nonspecific. One million every month. And then we're going to increase that number. If we're lucky, and we will be lucky, we're going to be able to do medical debt for veterans. Do you know how crushing medical debt is for veterans? Let's say you went and you were in service and you came back and 20 years later you developed a cancer or you have Gulf War syndrome and they won't treat you because you cannot prove with some kind of top secret evidence that your injury is related exactly to your service. You may not get treated for free as you are entitled. So you have to pay, like the rest of us, retail. What does it cost to get a Band-Aid? 10 grand, I don't know, blood test, 1,000 bucks, and if they have real stuff going on, it's tens of thousands, and guess what? The bank takes your house, you're on the sidewalk. Some 25% is now estimated of homeless people in Los Angeles. Los Angeles having the most amount of homeless people per capita on earth outside of climate disruption or wars at about 140,000. A full 25% are thought to be military veterans. Wow. And that says a lot about the culture in any of our big cities where we simply allow that. We didn't used to allow it, but we do allow it now. So this is a wake-up call and a call that is long in waiting. There's so many pressing concerns that focus on veterans, touch on, include housing and health care and privatization of the VA, personal wellness, mental health, social reintegration, after service, issues facing women in the military and as veterans of military service, LGBTQ issues. Uh, a good friend of mine is Jeff Key who was a, uh, a gay Marine and changed the face of what that looks like in the military so that other, people's could, other people could serve. There's bias, there's discrimination and bad conduct discharges, discipline within the military that affects the lives of veterans of color, especially black veterans, as well as policy questions around war and peace and militarization, militarism in many aspects of our society, who gets what, how much, and why. But most importantly, of the millions and millions of people who have served and served honorably and have served with their heart and they've meant it and they've done a good job, they are disappeared in the conversation and they have much to offer. Let me tell you, had I been in the military, I was not of age to be drafted, but had I been even volunteered like other people who are much braver than I ever am, had I volunteered and gone in, I would have so much more discipline 
because they teach you discipline and they teach you integrity. They teach you honor. I've hopefully gotten that on my own to the degree I can, but I didn't get to like learn it like school and even get, you know, disciplined for being a layabout. <laughs> so there's a lot of good to be said. In just a few moments, we're going to talk to our $6 million man, a man named Max Ramsey, who I, I've actually known for about 30 years and I've been tracking his progress over time. And he's an extraordinarily brave and smart guy. And part of the reason that he was picked after suffering this terrible injury, he was picked because he's really smart. And they knew that he would put his mind and his heart into it and be compliant and give them feedback. Because if you're coming up with new medical protocols, doctors need to know. Like, where are you? I'm at home. What are you doing? Watching Netflix? Well, how's it going? I don't know wrong answer. And remember, all of this technology ends up sooner or later with you and me. So that's why it's important. You're not told that, but it is true. The internet was not built for you and me, though Al Gore gets credit somehow, but it was built as a communication device if there were a nuclear war that wouldn't be subject to going out because the wires were buried deep and such. Now here we are watching our porn and enjoying our lives and swapping recipes. It's so exciting, there are barely words for it. So, lot to be learned. Let's just jump right on in. Uh, we're going to say hi to Max Ramsey. He is in Sacramento, California, just a bit north, a lot north of us by about five years, five, well, five years if you're walking, five uh, hours if you're driving what's called an automobile, but even if you're on the freeway, it could be five years. Let's just admit it right here, right now. Max Ramsey, I, I want to welcome you so much to Rethinking Heroes, and you are, as you know, in my opinion, a real hero. Well, uh, morning, Carrie. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that, um, how, how long we've known each other since the days of... Uh, debauchery and local Tampa radio and whatnot uh, over, over the years. So it's nice to be here. Good morning. Good morning. And I had mentioned that vaguely, but, um, you know, they stupidly handed me news director in the largest rock station on the West Coast. And I'm like, this is fun. Yeah. We broke stories. We scooped the New York Times twice by six months. We got awards from American Women in Radio and Television, Siegenthalers for uh, journalistic bravery. I mean, game on. And it was in the beginning back then, and I'm not going to take us down a rabbit hole here, but you um, foolishly mentioned this, Max Ramsey. Um, we, we created this idea of open source because the listeners could never know how true is any of this. And I knew that news and information was coming from the network at ABC. One guy overnight getting paid 18 bucks an hour at 26 years old in charge of distributing to 1200 ABC affiliates, one of which was us, the news. And he just, his job was to get it in on deadline, true or not. And we're distributing it a thousand times over. It becomes a fact in people's eardrums. So I did open source. I said, you're all fact checkers now. And anybody who can come up with an alternative to what we've been told by the network gets, you know, we had a drawing for a new car. I don't know, something cool and fun. So uh, we got to, uh, to launch cool stuff. But let's talk about you, Max Ramsey. You, uh, I'm just going to give a quick brief. You are what I like to call America's true $6 million man. Sergeant Max Ramsey, U.S. Army, retired, served with the famed 506th Infantry, or Band of Brothers. I would hate to think somebody has not yet seen Band of Brothers. It's been out about 20 years. Talk about good TV. That's Spielberg level, just unbelievable. Tells the whole story of how the Nazis were vanquished. 
That's him, 101st Airborne Division, served one tour in Iraq and was wounded in action in Ramadi in March of 2006, considered America's best candidate for a so-called bionic lower leg replacement, built of -of state-of-the-art tech. And key, of course, was his ability to be in compliance. His high intelligence, you better live up to that, Max Ramsey. <laughs> uh, tell tell I, us a bit about in, 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 fair, in fairness, I was number six of 10 in that, in that osseointegration uh, process for prosthetic limbs uh, on the leg. So uh, while I did make the cut per se, one could argue I, I was not number one. Um, so there are at least five people in there that, that uh, were able to go ahead of me in that regard. But uh, I would call it a, a, a overwhelming success in my regard anyway, in my experience. And so tell, tell us about this extraordinary leg of yours. You actually having been picked, so you do get the credit for that. Um, it was not easy. Yeah, well, you know, I think, and I think the protocol is that people get selected for these types of new things. Once, once they enter human testing um, are fairly common, you know, obviously there's a psych review. Um, they want to know if you, are uh, obviously have a, a stable outlook on life are not um, uh, averse to um, positive pain management. Um, and they want to make sure that you're, that you don't suffer uh, too much as a result of that, nor do they want you to be in a position where you're trying to over medicate uh, as well. So I was pretty fortunate in that regard. Um, the, process in the, the the limb itself is not all that different. And actually the technology itself roots back to the very first days of um, dental implants where uh, little titanium pins get placed in the mandible and they can then, you know, attach a tooth or a set of teeth and it remains a permanent fixture versus dentures or, or other partial type dental fixtures. So um, this is that technology, but on a grander scale. Um, and it's been around uh, I'd say at least for decades in, in measure, but it's not FDA approved here because of the high incidence rate of infections. Not that people die, just the fact that there's an incident of infection is, is a, a major cause of concern uh, in the American uh, evaluation process. We're so talking to Max Ramsey. He is America's first true $6 million man. Sergeant Max Ramsey, U.S. Army retired, Band of Brothers, 101st Airborne Division. So uh, if you have ever paid attention to anything like that and have heard about it, which you have, that's why you're listening here, you know the kind of folks that he was hanging out with. And tell us a little bit about how this came to be in uh, Ramadi when you were on a mission. Um, so in, um, 2005, 2006, this is pre-surge, uh, in that era, we were a a year or two after, uh, the Marines had pushed, uh, a lot of the insurgencies out of Fallujah and a lot of that garbage got pushed West into Ramadi, which is a, a, a bigger city, uh, a little closer to Syria, not that close. I mean, we were, you know, still hours by any given measure, but the, um, uh, it, it, with all that, with a, with an increased area of operations, uh, Ramadi quickly became uh, the Wild West on steroids. And I think at one point when Time Magazine was still a printed publication that was in wide circulation, I think they called it the most dangerous place on earth, um, which for our a unit like ours in the infantry, that's, you know, the type of stuff that we had trained for. We were, you know, we were in, 
you know, active positive counterinsurgency operations there. And um, one night we were on a uh, mission to look for various flags of intel. There was a, a, a spotter to a sniper that had killed Marines in another part of the city. Apparently the Marines got the sniper, but missed the spotter. We found the spotter and we, you know, captured some other stuff. And, and, you know, as we were finishing up that particular mission and and exfiltrating the area, um, we uh, turned a corner and somebody command detonated a uh, IED underneath the truck that I was in. And uh, the blast uh, had a piece take out my left knee look kind of like a big wily coyote splat. Uh, you know, if you want to, if you want to characterize it in a way that doesn't grow to gross you out. And, uh, they ended up medevacking me out and then they, they, they took care of the wound by amputating what was left of my leg in uh, Baghdad, then medevac me out to, uh, Germany and then back to Walter Reed. I'm guessing Max Ramsey that at the time you were probably not uh, I mean, you just assumed you were going to be on crutches and maybe some kind of artificial limb. But uh, at some point, they let you know that they had this state-of-the-art technology that they were willing to create something pretty unique for you that would then help all the rest of us down the road someday. Yeah, so I, I heard about this study uh, through friends of mine, the amputee community, or what we call the graduates of Ward 57 from the old old Walter Reed uh, environment. Um, I knew about this phase one trial uh, some time ago, but I didn't sign up for it because I was in school. I was still finishing up college at the time. So the patient number one in the study, I'm close friends with, and I, I sent him a message saying, hey, I'm going to be monitoring your progress. Let me know how it goes because I want to get involved in this uh, once I'm done with school. And he actually texted me back and said, hey, come visit me. All, all these first phase surgeries are done in Salt Lake City. And so he said, hey, come visit me in Utah and you can meet everybody. And so I did. Um, and, and then I realized that they were, they were picking candidates as they went along and developed their plan. So the first two uh, recipients had already been picked, but patients three, four, on up to 10 had not yet been fully selected yet. So I took advantage of that opportunity to start an evaluation. And, and as the timing would be, um, the week that I would graduate college would be the week that I got noticed that I'd been selected to participate in the trial. So um, I, I, you know, that was in uh, April of 2016 when I got the word that I was going to undergo the procedure. I actually underwent the procedure uh, in September and October of 2016 because it's it's two parts. So um, and the rest, as they say, is history. It's been an outstanding uh, experience for me, and um, it's going to change the scope of uh, lower limb amputee care across the United States once it gets through all the final phases and achieves FDA approval. And that would include people who are dealing with diabetes and other conditions in the civilian world. This is why this is so interesting and affects all of us. What touches one touches the many, especially in this country. Carrie Harrison with you. You're listening to Rethinking Heroes. You can learn more at RethinkingHeroes.com. We're talking right now to Max Ramsey, America's first true $6 million man. Sergeant Max Ramsey, U.S. Army, retired, served with the famed 506th Infantry Band of Brothers, of the 101st Airborne Division, served a tour in Iraq, was wounded in action in Ramadi in March 2006, and received this state-of-the-art limb, uh, which he has explained and described to us. Uh, if you could, because we do have video, which will be posted on TikTok, 
uh, streaming on the uh, on various stations, Facebook, also on RethinkingHeroes.com, but we won't really be able to see your leg. So for those listening just with their earballs on their eardrums through our FM radio stations, particularly here on KPFK, how do you describe the leg so people can get what this is? So uh, in broad in broad strokes, this is a titanium pin that has been placed into my femur. So I'm an above knee amputee. And to be specific, this particular procedure is for above knee amputees only at this point. What they've done is they've enabled me to wear a prosthetic without having to have a whole socket uh, covering what's left of my limb, you know, the residual limb or the stump, depending on your vernacular. The... Um, so what they've done is they've taken a, a large titanium pin and they basically hammered it up the femur. Uh, they then closed up the limb to let heal, let the titanium bond with bone, which is a, uh, a well-known relationship that gets along well. Titanium and bone love each other. And uh, then about a month later, they create a stoma. They basically make a hole in the bottom of the limb and then they can attach a post and then a, uh, a, they'll attach then a, a fixator that allows you to attach the, the prosthetic knee that I actually walk on. So now instead of having to don and doff a, a big socket contraption, um, now I just attach a leg to this little uh, post that sticks out of the bottom of my leg and the benefits are immeasurable. I mean, now my femur can support weight. Um, I don't have a socket that gets all grabby for all the things that can be intimate uh, for people. <laughs> so, you know, there's including you. Yeah. Even me. But I mean, it's something that would affect uh, it. doesn't matter what you have down there. It, it's something that, you know, grabs hair, you know, chafes skin, nothing that's pleasurable to uh, anyone. Good point. So, Although there is a fetish community for that in Silver Lake. Well, I can't help them. I can't help those people. Um, but the, the, the that's the immediate benefit. Now, of course, the big purpose of this process was to determine the method of installation for lack of a better word, because that's, that's where there was always the highest risk of infection. Mm -hmm. And so they, they determined that with this design and then making it a two-step process over the span of about four weeks, they, they believe, and I think they have rightly displayed this because they're now getting ready to start phase two of, of, of this study is the um, they've mitigated uh, the, the common risk of infection uh, resulting from this. And uh, so it's pretty cool. And I think the company that makes these pins have, they've already created a catalog of sizes that could be categorized for things like Medicare and other insurance purposes, you know, for those that are in advanced age and have to lose a limb or if somebody gets wrecked in a car wreck or something like that. Um, and, and they have to undergo uh, a procedure like this, but the, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm biased, um, but I'm a fan. Well, that's the kind of bias I prefer, the one where I'm biased because it works and it's good. And you work and you're good, Max. You're brilliant, which is, I know, part of the selection process. You're going to be humble about it, but I'm not. I'm just going to say you're really brilliant. You're smart. You're intuitive. Not just because I know you, but I've chosen to know you because you're one of those quality humans. And I want to thank you for coming on the inaugural show of Rethinking Heroes. It is my pleasure. And it's really good to see you again, my friend. And, and for your audience, uh, uh, believe believe what you see and believe what you hear. Carrie is one of the good ones. Uh, you happen to be one of the smartest people I know, one of the funniest people I know. And, and 
Uh, it's only too sad that in today's airwaves, you and I cannot share our brand of humor uh, with the public. That's why we text each other. <laughs> but we'll keep that out of the show. <laughs> All right, my friend, I do appreciate it very much. That's Max Ramsey, America's first true $6 million man with an extraordinary new leg that will be, and it is on the way to becoming available to everybody who has an issue with amputation or diabetes or is serving in the military and has a problem and has lost a limb as he has with an extraordinary new piece of technology that he he was the first one to use was compliant and awesome he served in the famed 506th infantry band of brothers of the 101st airborne division dickie winners yep those guys made famous on tv uh, served a tour in iraq and of course now uh, is able to share with us this extraordinary story coming up we're going to be talking to Robert Vivar of Unified, well, let me just say it this way, vets who come to this country uh, as undocumented people are told often that if they serve in the military, they get a fast track to either a green card or citizenship or something good, but a lot of them just get thrown back in their home countries after serving. We're going to learn more about that in just a tick right here and only here on Rethinking Heroes. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Carrie Harrison. And it is 34 minutes past the hour. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. You can learn more at RethinkingHeroes.com. This is America's first truly dedicated show to talking to members of the military and dealing with life after service, which is a giant, for many, pain Uh, For others, it's not so much a pain. And then there's everything in between. And then there's what happens to you and me, the civilian population, because either we help them, we don't help them. So all of it is integrated. All of it works together. And all of us are affected, affected, infected, whatever the case may be. So we're dealing with the solution providers of whom there are many. You didn't know about it because they don't get publicity. So we're going to be bringing on people that have state-of-the-art technology, state-of-the-art psychology. psychological technology and solutions for whatever seems to be ailing uh, service members and much more broadly us at the end. At the end of every month, Rethinking Heroes is going to absolve $1 million in medical debt for regular people in the name of veterans who are still out there having our backs. And of course, the ultimate goal politically is to get the government to release some of that medical debt so that we can resolve it and absolve it for uh, military people themselves, which would be remove a lot of people off the streets. Forty four suicides a day in this country of just service people. You don't know about it because it's not talked about. But these are some of the facts we deal with. Let's jump over and say hi to Robert Vivar. He's with Unified U.S. Deported Veterans Resource Center. I'm going to say it again. Uh, It's kind of a long title. It is the Unified U.S. Deported Veterans Resource Center. And what he does is help deported vets who are kicked out of the country after uh, your green card or citizenship was offered for that kind of duty. Things do happen, and there apparently is not much protection for them. And I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes, Robert Vivar. Kerry, thank you very much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here uh, with you today. And you're based in San Diego. Give us a, a broad sweep of what exactly you deal with. This will be first-time information for many. Absolutely. 
uh, yes, I am based out of uh, San Diego. However, my office is right across the border, uh, just a few yards from the Pet West uh, border crossing, because that's also the deportation center. Uh, And the reason we're located there is uh, a strategic move so that we can intercept veterans uh, that have been deported and immediately assist them into integrating into uh, the uh, Tijuana community as productive members of the community, uh, assist them in obtaining their documentation. Because when you get deported, you know, you get deported with practically a shirt off your back, even though uh, you're being returned to your country of birth. Usually you're returned without any uh, documentation. So we assist them with their obtaining their their uh, documentation uh, from, you know, Tijuana from Mexico, but also uh, uh, to assist them in obtaining their rightly earned VA benefits and also seek for legal opportunities for them to be repatriated. This seems a little weird, uh, Robert Vivar. And what I mean by that is not what you're saying, but the understanding that we all have. If you are a person that comes to this country, you're undocumented, likely. Um, you're told that if you do military service, you know, Bob's your uncle. It's all fixed. You're in. No problems. But it hasn't been turning out that way. Uh, that is correct. And there is a, a little bit of a, of a myth there that uh, people that are undocumented can serve in the uh, U.S. military. That That is a, a big myth because in order for you to serve in the military, uh, you have to have legal status, either illegal permanent residence. Or in many cases, a work permit like DACA, uh, which at one point uh, they were being permitted to enter the military and uh, have the opportunity of obtaining legal permanent residence or uh, U.S. citizenship. Uh, and of course, um, uh, unfortunately, when um, our our members of the military, men and women, uh, you know, were discharged from uh, the armed services. Uh, and found difficulty integrating back into civilian life and ended up getting into uh, legal uh, situations, uh, they ended up having their legal permanent uh, residence revoked. Uh, one thing uh, you know to note is that many uh, of our uh, veterans that have been deported, uh, at one point or another, a recruiter promised them uh, citizenship once they entered the military. They were never explained that you still had to go through a citizenship process. Rather, they indicated to them that when they were taking the oath of allegiance, which is the very similar to the oath of nationalization, of naturalization, that that would automatically uh, constitute U.S. citizenship, which was far from the truth, uh, and that they, they did not uh, understand fully until uh, they were placed in uh, removal proceedings. I'm guessing you can't understand fully until you are placed in those proceedings when, in fact, what you're told, they say this is an apple. You look at it, it looks like an apple. And then later they say it was a parsimon, possibly that, an orange spray painted red. And that's that's dangling quite a little carrot that seems to be a, a universal story for, with many veterans. That is correct. And, you know, the, the real uh, sad part to this story is that uh, many veterans, uh, you know, while active duty, actually applied for citizenship. And because they were moved from one uh, military base to another, their, uh, you know, further interviews never took place, only initial ones. Uh, so since their paperwork never followed them, uh, the process was never completed. 
And, you know, you can imagine you're in the military, you took the oath of allegiance, uh, you applied for citizenship, went through an interview, and all of a sudden you find yourself in, per se, Iraq or Japan or some other military base. And you never hear back uh, on any further interviews that need to be conducted. You think, well, you know, I, I applied, I went through interviews. Um, that must have been it. Uh, I, I must be a citizen. Uh, of course, very far from, from the truth until let's that moment. Explore, let's explore what, what those details are. Let me just say this is Rethinking Heroes. You can learn more at RethinkingHeroes.com. This is a project of so many different organizations, and we're finding ways to bring them all on board and give them voice for the first time ever, possibly in American history, on normal airwaves. So this isn't a service of the military. These are the guys who've been in the military who have certain needs, and there's a lot of information and stuff that simply isn't out there, and a lot of people doing great work to fix the problems, fix the problems, one of whom is the voice you're hearing right now, Robert Vivar, with Unified U.S. Deported Veterans Resource Center. Carrie Harrison with you, and Robert, I would ask you, they're being deported. Obviously, there's people biting their nails going, well, why are they being deported? They have done something. They haven't done something. There are too many people in the country. Like, why are they being deported? Absolutely. And, and that is very uh, important uh, to understand why they are being deported. And, you know, just to go a little bit uh, to the root of the problem, you know, uh, our military is the best trained military in the world. Uh, no ifs or buts about it. They, they are trained exceptionally. But what does that uh, military training uh, tell you? What is it that a, that a soldier goes through in basic training? You're, you're, you know, you take this 17, 18, 19 year old kid um, and you're taught to uh, be aggressive. You're taught to be violent. You're taught to kill. And, uh, you know, on many occasions, uh, your orders received are to go to another country to kill, uh, to fight in, in a hostile terrain. Um, many occasions you as a soldier end up killing. Uh, because that's the nature of, of war. Uh, many times your buddy that helped you through basic training is cut down right before you. And when you come back from military service and you integrate back and you're trying to integrate back into civilian life, um, that is where the problem starts to, to develop, to evolve. Uh, when our veterans are returning back from military service, and they're having difficulty integrating back into civilian life. How do they turn off all that training they received in being aggressive, in being violent? Uh, how do you turn it off? You don't turn it off. You self-medicate. And when you self-medicate, uh, if you're a, uh, a citizen, you know you you self-medicate. You could have made a you commit a mistake. Uh, you pay for your mistake. Do your time. Pay your fines. Whatever the case may be. Go to rehab. And you're allowed to go back home to your family to redo your, your life. If you're a non-citizen veteran, you may have served in the same um, conflict, in the same war, in, in the same area. You may have had uh, service during the same type of, of uh, uh, situation. The difference is now when you come back home and you have trouble integrating into civilian life, 
and you resort to self-medicating, um, instead of uh, giving the opportunity for rehab, uh, you're placed in removal proceedings, uh, which, um, you know, you've already paid your price, but now it's kind of like a, sec- a double jeopardy because you're being paid, made to pay for the same mistake again. And actually, you're paid three times because when you get deported, when you get removed, uh, you get uh, taken away from your life, from your family, from the country you were willing to die for. So you, you know, you pay for your mistake. You uh, again have to do uh, detention in immigration detention, and then you get kicked out of the country. When instead, you should have been given the same treatment, the same opportunity that that citizen veteran had to help, get help for your for your uh, mental health illness, whatever the case may have been that um, led you into self-medicating uh, and eventually legal trouble. That is profound. And you laid it out in such a way. Many of us intuitively knew this. Many of us knew there were drug problems, but you explained the why of the what. The what has been plaguing us. The why is the insight so we could do something about it. You could go to RethinkingHeroes.com, RethinkingHeroes.com, and you'll see a link for Robert Vivar's website, Unified U.S. Deported Veterans Resource Center. You can take a look at what they do, understand what they do, and um, help in any way that makes sense to you. Robert Vivar, who I want to thank for having joined us today here on Rethinking Heroes. Gary, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, my friend. We will talk again. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. To learn more and see all the list of people who are out there who we're going to be able to talk to over time and bring the solutions that you didn't know were out there, solutions that affect you as a civilian because so much of the technology is military technology that ends up flowing through you and me. And how we treat them is how we treat each other as well. So here's a chance to upgrade the whole system and get the politicians on board as well. Coming up in just a minute, we're going to talk to Chuck Bell. He comes from Consumer Reports, and we found an article that he wrote called Eliminating Healthcare Debt, something that so profoundly plagues military vets disproportionately. Uh, it's a, a an approach in from a nonprofit, and it needed to be shared because what you need to know is what's happening to them, if it's happening to you, and how you can get out of it. Because debt, well, it's not in the it's in the Constitution. You cannot be put in prison for it. But there are other kinds of prisons that are just as awful as dripping stone walls, and that's called banks. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Kerry Harrison. 50 minutes past the hour. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. You can learn more at RethinkingHeroes.com as well as get links to all the different guests we're featuring so you can explore what they're doing to be part of the solution. Just as our flagship station, KPFK, here in Los Angeles, 90.7 FM, is the first in the nation to do this kind of programming. That alone is an act of bravery, an act of heroism. We're looking to bring in our next guest, Chuck Bell. I'm going to ask our uh, our wonderful guy, Gary Baca, in the control room, if he can admit, please, Chuck Bell into the show. 
Uh, we've got lots of moving parts, lots of technology happening. And here, of course, being the inaugural show, <laughs> every time you do it, it's a beta test when it's the first time. So he'll be with us in just a quick moment. What is the purpose of what we're doing here today? Well, it's many fold. We have issues that our veterans suffer that you and, you and I don't know about. Um, veterans are generally shown as sort of dilapidated figures, maybe in a wheelchair, suffering. And not all of them are like that. Many of them are. All of them, just like all of us, deserve and are entitled to equal access to help. Many people end up sick as veterans, and if they have a later recurring issue that might happen 20 years after their service, like Gulf War Syndrome or exposure to Agent Orange in Vietnam, if you cannot definitively prove that your sickness is connected to your service, the VA may not treat you. And uh, there was a, a man who we'll bring on someday named Brent Hatley, who was in Gulf War One? got Gulf War Syndrome, almost died. Uh, 18 of his comrades did die in the Marines from Gulf War Syndrome in their 20s, and we found a cure for him. And we did it publicly so that the uh, politicians would have to watch him get cured because we were on to what it was, what the infection was, where it came from, and it was essentially weaponized HIV, at least the gene envelope from 1986, from when Rumsfeld famously shook hands with Saddam Hussein. It's an extraordinary story, and we'll make sure there's a print version and an audio version and an interview upcoming. But these are the sorts of things we all need to know about so that we can all deal on a level playing field with uh, what's going on. We're hoping to get Chuck Bell. Uh, not sure where he is. We'll ask Kat if you wouldn't mind calling Chuck and having him try to re-enter. That would be awesome. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on with vets while we wait. The issue that plagues so many of us is not only homelessness, where we see in all of our major cities, and I said this at the beginning of the show, uh, here in Los Angeles, where we are based, we have, it is thought now, to be 140,000 homeless people. Wrap your head around that. 140,000. That's bigger than most of the cities or towns you grew up in. Unless you grew up in LA, then it is not bigger. <laughs> you grew up around probably 9 million at the time, up to 14 million is the DMA. And that includes Long Beach. And that's how it's measured now. That's a lot of people. And they weren't always homeless. Uh, COVID gave a huge tidal wave of brand new homelessness. And since then, we started to see people living in tents, not randomly, but miles long. You even go to health facilities like Kaiser Permanente, which is a big HMO in California. Uh, they're the closest you're going to get to Canadian health care or English health care or European health care. It's sort of all in one. They pay their own doctors. They have their own labs, their own hospitals. They do it all in one place. And they're a stand-up organization. We're really lucky that we have that model in California. Other states do not have that. And you have a doctor here, a blood lab over there, and you pay retail for every single portion. Well, the costs are contained that way. Outside of that facility, and it's not their fault, are tents and tents and tents, blocks of people living in tents next to a medical facility. There are people living in tents next to grocery stores on the sidewalks and you wonder how can this be while well, Range Rovers drive by 
and it just does not compute. And a full 25%, so we think in Los Angeles, according to the latest data, and also confirmed by Robert Vivar, whom we just heard from, with Unified U.S. Deported Veterans Resource Center, that some 25% of them are military veterans. And, you know, at 18 years old, you go get a gig, you get paid to serve in the U.S. military, and they, they train you how to kill. Uh, a highly disciplined regimen. And that's pretty much all you know. And then you graduate from that, so to speak. You come back and you can't get a job because a lot of employers are afraid to um, hire someone who has only walked around with a gun. Like, so what are you going to do? You're going to make sandwiches, but you're a sniper. And maybe that's limited on the part of the employer. And so maybe part of my job, part of your job listening, is to help us reframe the issue, which is what we're doing here too, is reframe it. So you've got a really a guy who's going to show up on time, a guy who can make the best sandwich. And if you're worried about them using too much meat because it's too expensive, they're going to use the right amount of meat. I mean, there's a ton of upside, but there's a lot of help that's needed. And so they can't get a job. When you can't get a job, you don't have an apartment. You don't have an apartment, you don't have a shower. You don't have a shower, you can't take a shower. You can't take a shower, it means, guess what? You can't get a job because you can't get a job interview. Uh, I believe we have Chuck. We've got, oh, Chuck, about two minutes. Let me just give you some love and bring you on. We will bring you back, my friend. This is Chuck Bell of Consumer Reports. He wrote an article called Eliminating Healthcare Debt. Uh, it's an approach in uh, getting rid of healthcare debt, something that is plaguing everyone. You got about 90 seconds, Chuck. Uh, I'm welcoming you and, and give us a broad sweep of what you're talking about here. Uh, and as you've been saying, Carrie, um, even uh, veterans can get medical debt if they are being treated for something that's not service related um, or they're less than 50% disabled. And there was estimated to be as much as uh, $1 billion in uh, medical debt for veterans in the year 2019, according to an article written by my colleague. Uh, so w the states can take a lot of actions to protect patients, but ultimately we have to create a system that doesn't price gouge you at every turn. Uh, so that's what I hope we can talk about if you have me on again. Chuck Bell, thank you so much for your uh, cameo here. And we'll have you on long form and really nail this down, okay? Fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, my friend, that's Chuck Bell, Consumer Reports. He's laying out uh, medical debt, something that we all deal with, uh, and other kinds of debt, how you can get out of it. Boy, who doesn't want that shortcut? All right, thank you so much, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison, Life After the Military. RethinkingHeroes.com.